Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Today we finish up that first point of the outline. Let me put on my stuff on Do Not Disturb. Uh, Final point of the outline here to... Of all the historical concerns that Moses had. Moses looking back at the history of God's people. Looking back at the history of Israel. Looking at their disobedience. Their poor decision making. And their seasons of obedience. We finish that up tonight. Really the next time we're together we'll finish the first half. But here in this chapter Moses after looking at all of the historical Seasons and situations with Israel, Moses is not going to retell and recount the whole word of God to Israel. So he's reminded them of their history in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and now he's going to remind them of God's word. Here we begin verse 1. Our goal tonight is to get through verses 1 through 25 and then be able to give time to meditate on communion. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So Moses begins to list and remind them of God's statutes, God's judgments, and God's word. And the very first thing is to listen. Listen to the statutes and judgments of God's word. Now, when we say the word listen, it's interesting what we think that word means. Oftentimes, parents, you'll, you'll tell your child, you're not listening to me. Does that mean that the sound waves of your voice are not entering into their eardrum and being registered by their brain? No. What that means is that those sound waves are going into your brain, but you're not obeying those sound waves. That's what we mean when we say, listen to me. Are you listening to me? And here God is saying the same thing, that we need to hear his word, but then we need to do his word. It's not enough to constantly be hearing God's word. As James 1.22 says, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're here tonight and you are just a hearer of God's word, More than likely, you are deceiving yourself thinking you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, deceiving yourself thinking you're saved, deceiving yourself thinking that you're getting God's blessing. It takes more than just hearing God's word. We need to listen and obey his word. We can think of Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus gives that great analogy of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man builds his house on the rock. He's able to withstand the storm. The foolish man built his house on the sand and it's destroyed by the storm. And Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Moses, not only is he reminding them of the word of God, 
but he's reminding them that obeying God's word leads to life and blessing. Disobeying God's word leads to death and cursing. This is what he's reminding this next generation of Israelites about. And it's interesting, in the book of Joshua, even within the book of Exodus, every military victory for the nation of Israel was based upon obedience to God. Obeying his word even if it was an insane military strategy. What would you think if your general says, you know what, I know they got swords, I know they got arrows, but let's get some trumpets, some pots, and some flashlights. Now we're going to wreck them, right? Just watch what we're going to do with it. Hey, I know they have a fortified wall. I know that they're able to fire their arrows at us from the wall. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to get our 10,000 steps in and just walk around the city every week, every day. It's madness. But each time the Israelites obey God's word, it would lead to blessing. Each time they would disobey God's word, if there was sin in the camp, if they went up and tried to fight on behalf of God presumptuously or disobeyed God, it would always lead to defeat. It's a great question for us. In this season, is there sin in your life? It's only going to lead to defeat and cursing. Is there presumption in your life? You're saying, of course God is in this and perhaps he's far, far away having nothing to do with your plans. Or finally, are you being disobedient to God? One of the most... What's the word here? The easiest way that we begin to disobey God's word is by adding and subtracting from God's word. That's why he says here in verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor shall you take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And we can very easily slip into adding and subtracting from God's word. And whenever we add or subtract from God's word, we are no longer able to be obedient to the actual word and the actual commandment of the Lord. We see the same warning at the end of the book. In Revelation 22. It's real easy to turn there. Just go to the end of your Bible. Revelation 22. Verse 18 through 19. Revelation 22. 18 through 19. It says, For I testify to everyone... Who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He'll repeat himself in Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 32. There he says, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And many false gospels today, many false doctrines today, many false religions today, they take the Bible and then they add to it or they subtract to it. I get mad anytime I see uh, one of those JW booths and they say, hey, do you want to learn about the Bible? Because that's not the Bible. They're adding to it. They're adding to it and they're subtracting from it. And there's a great warning there. Jesus had many issues with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
And this is exactly what they did. The Pharisees added to the word of God and the commandments of God by adding more rules and more religiosity. We mentioned it a few Sundays ago, having to tithe from your sazon completa and your curry powder and all your seasonings at home, that God wants 10% of everything that you possess. The Sadducees, they subtracted from God's word. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 7, Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now were the Pharisees obedient to their religion? Absolutely. But their religion was not the heart of God and the word of God. That's why he says at the end in verse 9, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Are we taking the commandments of men and now morphing them into the Bible? We can easily do that. It's not just enough to read your Bible or go to church. You have to go to Calvary Chapel, Miami to be saved. Right? We can easily do that because we like this church. Or whatever the case may be. King, New King James Version, that's the only real version of the Bible. It's the very word of God himself. He spoke it in a British accent and everything. What are you talking about? We can quickly add to God's word. And we disobey God's word when we add or when we subtract to it. We need to handle God's word with greater fear and reverence. We are literally handling the very word of God. We should treat it as it is his voice to us. Because that's exactly what it is. This book, the words in this book, it's the very breath of God. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 31, it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my words be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. He says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? God's word, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's a fire. It's a hammer that breaks things and destroys things. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. I love when God speaks in surround sound. This is the very portion of scripture we were in with the young adults. And Paul, he tells his son in the faith, Timothy, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise through faith for salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. It's the very breath of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, my favorite commentary of the Bible on the Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is powerful. We shouldn't take it as a simple suggestion. God's word is more than just the cute paintings that we put up on our walls, the cute wallpapers that we put on our phones, the cute pictures that we send to one another. It is the very word of God. And we should accept it as the word of God. So often someone shares a verse with us and we simply tell them, that's your interpretation. That's just what you think that it means. But it's up for debate. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul tells this church, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Many believers today, many so-called believers today, when you give them the word of God, the black and white truth of God's word, they want to say it's up for debate. But to those who take God's word and they receive it as the very word of God and we listen to it and we obey it, it's going to effectively work in us. Now he goes to verse 3 and 4 as a reference to what happens when we obey God and a reference as to what happens when you disobey God. He says, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So what happened to those who held fast to the Lord and obeyed? They stayed alive. Isn't it nice staying alive, right? There's songs about it and everything. Staying alive. What happens to those who went after other gods and disobeyed? They died. They're dead today. Moses is saying, hey, remember that time at Baal Peor? This is a perfect example of why you want to obey God and obey his word. Now, if you're like me and you're like, I don't remember what happened at Baal Peor, I'll remind you. This is when Balaam tried cursing God's people, but quickly remembered and realized you cannot curse God's own people. Balaam, that prophet, the weird story about a donkey talking to him, that's who Balaam is. So he tells King Balak of the Amorites to send the beautiful women from the Amorites down to Israel. And when the Israelites sin with these women, then God will be forced to deal with the disobedience of his people. If you're quick, we can turn to Numbers 25. Numbers 25 is where this historical situation happens. Numbers 25 verses 1 through 9 It says, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. There's a great warning to us here. That once sexual immorality 
Once sexual immorality is involved in a life, then a person's morals quickly go down the tubes. The moment sexual immorality comes into our life, our morals are going to quickly decay. Sexual immorality leads quickly to spiritual immorality. It quickly goes down that road. And if tonight you're messing around with sexual immorality, whether it's someone else and you're not married, whether you're married and it's someone else, whether it's pornography or whatever the case may be, your morals are going to decay in a hurry. In verse 7, Numbers 25, it says, Now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, and he took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. This sexual immorality quickly spread all throughout the tribe of Israel and it affected 24,000 people. So these 24,000 people, this was the group of men, of women committing sexual immorality and committing spiritual immorality. And they died because of their disobedience to the Lord. But the rest of those who held fast to the Lord their God, they were alive in that moment because of their obedience to God's word. They held fast to the word of God. And in the month that we're living in, the day and age that we're living in, we need to hold fast to the word of God. Verse 5 and 6, Moses says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the law, in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Moses begins here and tells them, Hey, I have done my part. I've been obedient to tell you everything that God commanded me, both the statutes and the judgments. So now it's your job. It's your job to be careful to observe all of his word because his word is your wisdom and understanding. And as you follow his word and observe his word and hold fast to his word, you will grow as a nation and as a people. We can turn to Psalm 119, and in Psalm 119, it's a great chapter. A lot of us are afraid of it because of how big it is, but it is an incredible chapter, and it's all speaking about God's Word. And right, of, right in the middle of it, in verse 98, it tells us, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way 
that I may keep your word. Finally, verse 104, it says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. James chapter 1, verse 25 tells us, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. God's word has the potential to make us wiser than our enemies, to have more understanding than our teachers, and even than the men and women around us who have had much more life experience. But it only comes to those who are constantly in his word, meditating in his word, and obeying his word. It's not enough to just hear it every once in a while. It's not enough to just take a verse of the day every once in a blue moon. But if we are constantly in his word, if we're meditating and chewing on his word, and if we're obeying his word, we'll grow. We will quickly grow when we do this. And those three things, they get more difficult. Being constantly in his word, that's difficult for some of us. It's 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day, you could read through the whole Bible in one year. Then it's hard to just be reading his word. How much more difficult is it to truly meditate in his word? To not just set a timer. There's that funny video. It's not just setting a timer. Right? Just reading through the Bible and say, okay, I read my chapter. What was the chapter about? Uh, I'm not sure, right? But then to actually meditate on it. To write it down, to really think about it, spend time thinking about it and thinking about it. That's difficult. And then what's the most difficult part? Being obedient to the word of God. Actually obeying it. God's word has the power and ability to make a young man old and wise in the things of the Lord at a rapid pace. Just as dependent on how much of the word that young man is taking in. I wonder how much of God's word did David consume while he was out there in the fields with the sheep? Because in a hurry, David was wiser than soldiers and generals and even the king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 18, 14, it says, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Later on, it says, King Saul was fearful of David because... The Lord was with him. You want to grow in a hurry? You want to be wise beyond your years? You want to grow in wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discernment? Be constantly in God's word. Constantly meditate in his word. And always obey the word of God. When you obey his word, it's your wisdom, your understanding, in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely... This great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that God, that has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law which I set before you this day? It is through the obedience of the Israelites to God's word that they would grow into a great 
and wise nation. And it's through the obedience of the Israelites to God's word that Israel would grow nearer to God and God would grow nearer to them. What a blessing it is that we can grow near to God today. Not just as a nation, not just as a people group, not just because who you were born to, but as sons and daughters of the king. What a great privilege for us, but it's dependent on our faith in Jesus Christ, our growing in him. And then as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, there's a promise to Israel. And here it says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. One commentator, McIntosh, he says, Israel was to be a light to the nations, and part of its luminescence would become apparent through its own faithfulness to God's laws. Righteous statutes, righteous laws, and righteous judgments exalt a nation. For decades, people in our country have said, who cares if that person sins in this way, that way, or the third? But as we continue to grow into sin and disgust, our nation is rapidly declining. Proverbs 14 verse 34 says simply, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And there's no doubt we can apply this to America and where we're at today and what what our nation is celebrating this month. But family, we are no different as individuals. It's through our obedience to God's word that we will grow in wisdom and blessing. It's through our obedience to God's word that we will draw nearer and nearer to God and he will draw nearer to us because his word will be within our heart. And it is to the point that our life and obedience and righteousness will be a light to this dark world around us. The more we're in his word, the more we're obedient to his word and his righteousness, the more of a light we're going to be in this dark, dark world. That's why he told us in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We have the same charge of the Israelites here, to be righteous, not self-righteous, not a Pharisee, Not look down at others, but to be a son or daughter of the king and to be obedient to our king. Verse 9 says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. If we're honest, we are very good at taking heed to someone else and being diligent that they keep themselves in the Word of God. But the difficult part for us is to pay attention to ourselves and to walk diligently in the truths of God's Word. And when we take heed to ourselves, when we pay attention to ourselves, when we walk diligently in God's Word, and when we are actively teaching others, 
our children, and our children's children, it keeps us from departing from the things of the Lord. We can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, and we can quickly fall into a spiritual slumber. We can be completely asleep when it comes to the things of God. Maybe you're here and you are spiritually asleep. You just come into church and out of church and you are just completely asleep. You're not paying attention to your own spiritual state. You're not paying attention to the spiritual state of your family, of your flock, of your loved ones. I encourage you to wake up this evening. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 it says, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We need to walk circumspectly, pay attention to our walk in the Lord, our walk with Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. We should be diligent to make sure that our lives are without spot and blameless. It's not to be diligent to live a fun life. It's not diligent to do whatever you feel like. It's be diligent to live a life without spot and blameless. And then finally, the last thing that he tells them there in verse 9 is to teach others. Teach others. Teach others. Are you teaching someone else the things of God's word? When was the last time you taught someone else? It's interesting that when you have to teach someone else, it makes, at least if you have any, if you have any pen, if you have any level of shame, right? You want to make sure you know what you're actually talking about. You want to study and you want to make sure you're not an idiot. You're just standing there, uh, I think this means this, I think this means that, I think this means the third. It causes you to press in and learn what you're talking about. And when we teach our children and our children's children, when we talk about God to our coworkers, to our friends, to a stranger, it's going to force us to press into God's word a bit more. It's going to force us to press into prayer saying, God, help me. Help me. I'm trying to share the gospel with this person and I'm not remembering everything right. Lord, would you help me? I am not an avid reader by any stretch of the imagination. I barely made it through high school. I don't know how many books I read in high school. The Bible for a long time was the only book that I've read. Do you know what has helped me read books at a ferocious pace? Telling other people to read books and reading them together. 
saying, hey, on this date, we're going to go through this book. That has caused me, like nothing else in life, to read books in a hurry. And if you put yourself in a place where you're having to teach others the Word of God, it's going to force you into a place to say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I want to teach rightly. I want to share and expound on your Word. Lord, I don't want to mess up here. So I encourage you, especially all the men here, teach in kiddos ministry. If you could teach a kid, you could teach anyone. You could teach anyone the, the Word of God. Teach your own children. Sit down with your wife. Sit down with your coworkers. It helps you to stay sharp in the Word of God. Verse 10, especially what should he be reminding and teaching their children and their children's children, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. The sons and daughters of Israel that had now grown into parents, they were called to remind themselves, their children and their children's children, about the day in which God spoke to them from the mountain. The day in which the whole nation of Israel, they were probably just children at this time, heard the very voice of God, where He gave them His commandments and where He gave them His covenant. Telling them that, hey, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. This is what they were to remind their children about over and over and over again. Parents, have you shared your testimony with your sons and daughters? Have you shared the very first time that you heard the voice of the Lord in your life? It's a powerful thing. It will cause a hunger and a desire within your own children to hear the voice of the Lord. What a great hunger to put in our kids. A desire to hear the voice of the Lord just like mom, just like dad. Then verse 15, take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. The likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. God purposely did not appear in any form before the Israelites 
Because God does not want anyone to create an image or create an idol in which to worship. Instead, God wants us to worship the true and living God. And the way we worship Him, it's by faith. It's by our obedience. God here also warns them to not follow their feelings of worshiping the moon, the stars, and the host of heaven. In Romans chapter 1, we see the rapid decline of really any nation or any culture, any people group. Romans chapter 1, if you want to know what's happening in our nation right now and what's yet to come, I encourage you to read through Romans chapter 1. But there in verse 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There is a warning that humans are prone to worshiping the creature and the creation more than the actual creator. That is what we are prone to do. And that's why God warns the nation of Israel. I did not come to you in any form on purpose. We know that God, he came to Moses in a burning bush. That's how he appeared to him. There within the burning bush. But he knew what the men and women of Israel would be prone to do. And they'd create their own little bush. They'd be lighting every bush on fire saying, hey, it's God, right? So instead he says, hey, I came to you in no form. Don't create any form. Don't be putting any idols in your home. No idolatry. Don't worship anything else. Worship me. Verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace. Out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and I swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In verse 20, Moses reminds them, hey, who's the one that freed you from slavery? Who's the one that helped you defeat the world superpower of Egypt? Who was that? And if God was the one that saved them and freed them, does God not have a right over them to tell them what to do, to tell them what's righteous and what's unrighteous, to tell them this is good and this is evil? Does God not have a right over us today? Right? For the parents here, do you not have a right to respect and obedience over your children? Of course. Why? You're their parent. They would not exist if you did not exist. You changed their diapers. You fed them. You kept them alive all these years, basically. Because if you would have left them by themselves, they would have died. Eating rocks and all random types of things. You pay for their rent. You pay for their food. You pay for their groceries. You pay for everything. Parents, do you not have a right 
to respect and obedience from your children? How much more does God have a right to respect and obedience from us? How much more? Why are you alive today? Because of God. Why did you not die in a car accident in the wet streets of Miami this evening? Because of God. Why have you not had a heart attack or an aneurysm or some other thing? Because of God. Why did he allow you to get saved? Why did he create you? Why did he keep you alive long enough to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and Savior? How much more ought we to respect and obey the Lord our God? Then in the middle section there in verse 21 and 22, Moses says, God has used me to point to the truth that disobedience of God's word causes consequences, harsh consequences. He says, God was angry with me for your sakes. God, he's not keeping back and holding punches for certain people. If you disobey God's word, there are consequences. Even if you're Moses, even if you're the leader of God's people, it's a warning to us. If you obey God, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey God, you're going to be cursed. Whether you're the leader, whether you're a follower, wherever you're in there within Christianity, you need to obey God's word. That's why he says in verse 3, pay attention to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Now, when, the, when Scripture speaks of forgetting, it's not just you all of a sudden just completely blank out about the Bible and about God. It's not that on Sunday you wake up and you say, you know what? I think I should be somewhere, but I don't know where. I think there's something I should be reading, but I don't know what. It's this slippery slope where we begin to raise up other gods before us. Other things become priorities. Other things become idols. And we slowly forget about keeping God as the priority in our lives. Finally, verse 24, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. We would do well to come back to the fear of the Lord. Each of us, our families, our homes, our life would be so much healthier if we've come back to that holy fear and reverence of God. He is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Hebrews chapter 12, let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, one last scripture here before we dive into communion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This is how we're to serve the Lord our God with reverence and godly fear, to be reminded of who he is and how we have no rights here. We deserve nothing but death and hell, and yet he saved us and he freed us from our slavery, from being in captivity. He has saved us and he is a holy God. We need to treat him with fear and reverence. It's interesting how campfires, they can make the best of us or the worst of us. 
And there are certain people that they have no reverence for a campfire. And what happens with those types of people? They're usually the ones that get burned. Either their eyebrows or the hairs on their hands, something. Something gets burned. But there are those that are, they respect the fire. They stay far away from it. They enjoy the warmth. They enjoy the heat. They enjoy the cooking possibilities. But they treat it with reverence and fear. And this is how we should treat the Lord our God. It's not that we should run from Him or flee from Him or be afraid to the point that we just want to hide ourselves from Him. It's to be in His presence, to enjoy the warmth, to enjoy the light, to enjoy the possibilities that He can create in our life. But we need to treat Him and His Word with reverence and godly fear. Too quickly do we just forget about the Lord and we take things for granted. We take him for granted. Like Samson, we say, ah, I've been able to sin like this in the past and nothing has happened. The Lord, he's going to be here with me again. We need to go back to center in treating God with reverence and godly fear. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, here Paul, he's speaking about Jesus Christ when he had the Last Supper, when he had Passover there with the disciples. It's where we get our communion from. And in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus knows what awaits him. Jesus is spending these last special moments with the disciples. He's washing their feet. He's breaking bread with them. They're there arguing about who's the greatest, who's the best disciple. And in the midst of all this, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The beatings that Jesus went through, the whipping Jesus went through, the cross being nailed, the torture that Jesus went through for us. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All of the blood that was shed, the crown of thorns being beaten into his skull, his beard being ripped out, him being beaten past human recognition, the cat of nine tails over his back, the blood that must have been shed for us. At the end, we know he was pierced in his side, and it was blood and water that came out separated. This he did for us, to love us, to give a sacrifice for us, to be our sacrifice, which we could never be, nor could we ever pay for. This he did, and we need to remember it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, without the fear of God, without the reverence of God, he will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Lord, am I at center? Lord, am I being obedient to you? Lord, am I teaching your word? Lord, am I growing in your word? Lord, am I meditating in your word? Jesus, am I grateful for your great sacrifice for me? Let a man examine himself. 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So if the worship team can come up, we'll lower the lights back down a little bit just to give some time, to give 10 minutes of time for us to examine ourselves. To, to be in quietness, to be in stillness, and to consider this great sacrifice that was made for my sins. This great sacrifice that was made for your sins. And then we should ask ourselves, Lord, in view of this, in view of your great sacrifice, in view of you saving me and freeing me from my chains, what manner of respect and reverence and obedience do you deserve so, hey, the pastors, they're going to come by and they're going to hand out the elements. But when you're ready, take some time. I encourage you, take some time, pray, meditate, consider Jesus and his sacrifice. Take some time, examine yourself, look at the past 24 hours, look at the past week, see how you're doing. Ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart, examine my life, examine my mind, reveal to me if there's any wicked way. Lord, reveal to me if there's anything off, any sin I'm not being aware of. And confess those sins before him. He wants to forgive. He's just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So whenever you're ready, you can take the bread and then drink the cup. Uh, but Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you for this great sacrifice, Lord. The, the price of it, the cost of it, Lord, we'll never be able to understand or fathom, Lord. But Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for, Lord, being so faithful to us, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, help us. Help us to be aware of this great sacrifice. Lord, help us search our heart. Reveal to us the wickedness within us. The, the sinful, Lord. The sinfulness, the presumptuous sins, Lord. Reveal these things to us now, Lord. We want to walk in obedience, Lord. We want to grow nearer and nearer to you. We want to be those men and women who are so near to you, Lord, that you hear our call. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.